Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, April the 13th, 2022. And in case you're trying to figure out what the stories this week are going to spell out, you might be interested to know that it's National Scrabble Day. Um, joining me is the man who always hits triple word score with a strange letter like a Z. That would be Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Zom. I'm a cheater. Yes, never play... Never play Scrabble with this man. It won't turn out well. Thankfully, though, we don't have to spell it out for you because we have some great news stories coming up, including a very special edition of Acquisition Palooza, which will be coming up in the Closer Look stories. But we did have a couple of things we wanted to hit on before we got there. Some uh, interesting news coming out of the tech world. And we're going to start off with news that actually came out last week at Tech Field Day 25. Uh, Intel announced that they're going to be using their existing Gen 2 media for the third generation of 3D crosspoint SSDs and persistent memory products. Uh, like I said, at Tech Field Day 25, the uh, news came that the 300 series devices will be using the second generation media in this upcoming release. Uh, but there was also mentioned during the presentation that the next generation of 3D crosspoint, that would be the fourth generation, will be less reliant on Intel Xeon platforms. There was this beautiful slide uh, that kind of detailed all of the things that is going to they're going to be going on. Uh, you can see a screenshot of it in the article that we linked in the show notes. Now, Stephen, Tech Field Day, obviously that's an event that you were at. What's your take on this news from Intel? Well, uh, as we talked about last time uh, with regard to Storage Field Day, Intel is in an interesting situation here because they can't come out and say what's going to be up next with 3D Crosspoint or any other Intel product. I mean, frankly. Uh, this is a company that is a public company. They're very closely watched by investors and everybody else. And, you know, if it means that they have to be a little quieter about uh, their announcements, well, that's what they've got to do. But that being said, the market really needs to know what's coming next from Intel. And so Intel comes to Tech Field Day and Intel executives speak up at Tech Field Day and very carefully answer our questions about future products. Uh, sometimes they're able to answer, as was the case with the uh, next generation PMEM question. Sometimes they're less able to answer. But let me just say this. What if we read the tea leaves here? So as we talked about, uh, Intel's uh, Optane technology, especially on the PMEM side, is really closely linked to the Xeon platform. In, in fact, what we heard here from uh, folks who would know at, at Tech Field Day was that uh, much of the important uh, control uh, processing is done in the Xeon platform itself, not on the Optane chip, which is why you can't go buy Optane PMEM and put it in your AMD Epic server. But that being said, CXL is coming. We know more and more about CXL every day. And one of the aspects of CXL is that it would allow a generic server host to attach to a generic uh, persistent memory platform across uh, the CXL uh, protocol. Well, that would imply that Optane would be available for uh, non-Intel servers in the future. If, Optel is gonna, if Optane is going to be on CXL and CXL is going to be available to non-Intel servers, uh, QED Optane will be available on non-Intel servers. And that's pretty much what Intel said. Uh, they didn't say that's a product. They didn't say that's a plan. They said, yeah, that's what the technology looks like. And it is what the technology looks like. 
So I, I feel like overall, um, there's a story here, but not much of a story here because this is basically what we know about the technology. Tom, uh, your favorite company and mine, IBM, is in a little bit of hot water this uh, week. They've been sued by a group of investors that are claiming that the former CEO, Ginny Rometty, manipulated sales figures to boost the stock price and uh, that others manipulated sales figures to boost their commissions. Uh, according to the charges, IBM moved sales booked under their legacy mainframe and software operations to cloud and analytics lines of business, what they called strategic initiatives. The dubious charges were made uh, to inflate the stock price and reward executives for, uh, participating in their incentive program. IBM hasn't yet responded, uh, but Tom, is this a bad look for the former tech giant? Unfortunately, it is. And disclaimer, I was an IBMer, but it's been 20 plus years ago that, that, I, was, uh, that I worked there. And, and one of the things that I've said over and over again is that this is not Tom Watson's IBM. Um, what you see now, even after all of the changes that have been going on, is kind of like a weird amalgamation of IBM Global Services and some of the Red Hat uh, pickups and things like that. But let's let's talk about what is Tom Watson's IBM, and that's the mainframe business. Um, I hate to say it, but it's a lot like uh, the the uh, fiber channel assets that Brocade kept holding on to that eventually got them uh, bought by Broadcom. Uh, the old story in business is you don't want to be a buggy whip manufacturer. That's not true. You want to be the last buggy whip manufacturer because there's nobody else to buy stuff from. IBM is the last buggy whip manufacturer for mainframes. That is a slow, steady business that may not grow very much, but it isn't going to shrink very much either. And we've seen that over the years. That is a steady part of their business. The problem is, is that that is a cash cow that you cannot milk forever. And IBM knows that. And so that's what Jenny Romney was trying to do when she was effectively forcing the company to kind of focus on these new strategic initiatives. Well, how do you get your salespeople to, to move off away from the cash cow? You reward them for selling fruits and vegetables or whatever else is on the farm that isn't the cow. And so that's what they did. And they, what did they call this? They, they had a, a clever acronym for cloud analytics, mobility, social security system, whatever. Essentially, the thing is, it's everything that isn't mainframes. Okay, great in theory, right? But when you incentivize people to make sales and they don't, they're going to get creative. And that's what happened here. Is it illegal? You're going to get into kind of violations of generally accepted accounting practices. That's where we're at right now. Did IBM make the money? Absolutely. They sold things. Where they sold those things is where it gets a little nebulous. If this had been anything other than dealing with the strategic initiative, like VIP program uh, commissions, for lack of a better term, I probably wouldn't have cared. Yeah, IBM's fudging the books a little bit because they sold more mainframes than they did cloud, and they really want people to believe that they're a cloud company. No big deal. The problem is, is it's the investors that are selling because basically IBM lied. And, and in the article that we, that we saw this in, because uh, there's this big expose in the register, um, essentially IBM is telling the truth. Wall Street doesn't give a crap where the money comes from. They want to hear the right words. And that's what IBM was essentially trying to prove is that they were growing in the cloud arena when they weren't growing as much as they really were. 
like like they were kind of putting on a false front. The other thing you have to understand is that this stopped in 2018. So uh, here's a tip for all of you um, uh, investors and uh, investigators out there. When a company randomly just stops offering an improvement plan or like any kind of like strategic compensation plan just out of the blue, that's usually a big sign that something was being manipulated or abused and that you need to go in and dig a little bit on that. And that's what happened with these investors. And it took this long to bring the lawsuit. Ultimately, what does this mean in the long run? Well, it's old news, but importantly, it's old news that IBM isn't the cloud giant that they would want you to believe. Does that mean IBM's not an important company in the grand scheme of things? No, IBM will always have a place in the history of, of IT and, and computers and mainframes especially. But I think it's a big sign that the world is starting to leave Big Blue behind. And without some massive changes, quite honestly, without doing something with that cash cow that they've relied on for so many years, it may pass them by to the point where they can't catch up again. All right, Stephen, I know that you are a huge fan of really cool processor tech, but if you were hoping to purchase a shiny new AMD professional workstation powered by Threadripper, um, you're probably out of luck by now because a new report from AMD states that supplies of this professional level CPU are very low and the distributors are having a huge problem getting them into machines, including having massive lead times or just flat out being unavailable for certain builds. Um, this is a result of that chip shortage that we've been talking about for the last year. However, the weird thing is, is that Threadrippers were not affected by this originally, but there seems to be these waves that are going on. It's almost like a panic buying thing where I can't get a hold of the thing I wanted, so I'm going to buy something that is roughly equivalent, and now everybody wants to buy them. And it's so bad that AMD CEO Lisa Su has said that the company really is trying to invest in increasing capacity and wafer yields and trying to find ways to meet the demand that people are having for these CPUs. Now, Stephen, here's one of the questions that I have. Does this mean AMD is going to have to be forced to shift production into this market to meet demand? Or is this a symptom of the fact that because people can't buy the stuff they really want, they're saying, well, that looks close enough, so I'm going to buy it. And will that lead to problems in the future when Threadripper is unavailable and everyone's like, well, now I'm just going to have to buy the biggest, baddest Ryzen that I can find? Yeah, it's interesting. Just for context here, uh, Threadripper is the name that AMD gives to their many, many core CPUs, their, their max core uh, CPUs for the workstation market. So these are not Epic server CPUs and they're not Ryzen uh, desktop CPUs. They're sort of something in the middle. This is a very high profile product, but it's not a very high volume product. As you can imagine, these things are pretty expensive. Uh, we're talking workstations that cost more than $10,000 for the most part. And uh, these chips are, are not really necessary for many users. Many users are very happy to get by with an 8-core, 12-core Ryzen CPU uh, as their uh, super powerful desktop. But if you're in the workstation video production market, uh, Threadripper looks awful nice to you, and you want one of these things uh, under your desk uh, as a workstation. And that's really what we're talking about here. Uh, again, uh, AMD does have many, many core server CPUs in the Epic line, and those things don't appear to be constrained at all. Another important aspect of this story is that we're not talking about the latest generation. These are the Ryzen, uh, the, the 3000 series Threadrippers, not the 5000 series that were in recently introduced. In fact, the 5000 series is exclusive to Lenovo, one of AMD's partners, at least for the next couple of quarters. Uh, it doesn't look like Lenovo can get the 5000 series either, but uh, you know, again, it, it, this is a uh, an older part, a, a still good one, 
but a, a niche product. So personally, I don't think we should read much into this except for what it says about AMD's manufacturing priorities. Essentially, AMD is manufacturing Ryzen CPUs like crazy and selling Ryzen CPUs like crazy, the five, you know, the 5000 series. In fact, I've got one sitting right here in the studio. Uh, AMD is also manufacturing and selling Epic server CPUs like crazy. Uh, and those don't seem to be, I, I mean, there's a demand crunch, but uh, they don't seem to be unattainable. It's just these uh, middle Threadripper line that seems to be affected. And I think that means that AMD is specifically not prioritizing production of these parts, probably because they're not as profitable as the smaller, cheaper to produce Ryzen's or the uh, data center class and cloud class uh, Epic CPUs. So my answer to this story, frankly, is there's not a lot of story here. It just means that AMD is not prioritizing production of Threadrippers. They haven't yet really entered volume production of the next generation Threadripper. And once they do, I imagine all of these supply crunches will go away. All right. Well, Stephen, speaking of buying things, uh, we had some stories that we wanted to take a closer look at. And as we were putting the rundown together this week, we realized that there were a lot of acquisitions that have been happening I don't know if it was the result of quarterly results coming out and people uh, found a little extra change in the couch cushions, but there's a lot of movement that's going on in the IT space. And we wanted to cover a few of those stories uh, as we move along. Tom, uh, first up in the acquisition spree, uh, Tama Bravo is picking up a new security company for their portfolio. They announced that they're going to be spending $6.9 billion to acquire identity and access management vendor SailPoint, taking them private. Tama Bravo has an equity stake in SailPoint already since 2014. So what do you make of this acquisition? So Tama Bravo's, I'm sure, is looking to create some synergy with a lot of the other products they have in their portfolio that kind of revolve around the security space. And already having an equity stake effectively, you know, it wasn't a controlling stake, but it was enough that they probably wanted to cash in and see what they could get out of it. And this is something we see quite frequently from, from capital firms like Tama Bravo and, and a lot of other ones is, let's buy the big company, let's see what works and what doesn't, let's move some of those pieces around and maybe sell them off to recoup some of that capital investment, which is actually something we're gonna be talking about in a moment. Um, for SailPoint, I think that this gives them uh, good positioning to kind of go into the market and kind of compete against some of the bigger vendors out there. Obviously, Okta is the big name that you're, you're going to be competing against. And after some of the troubles that they've had over the last couple of months, maybe SailPoint just needs some resources in order to be able to kind of jump into the market and, and kind of go head to head with them. So, you know, we'll see if that's enough. If, if Tama Bravo's uh, backing fully now is enough to kind of help out there. Um, Stephen, we have a, a positive story about Kaseya for once here on the rundown. Uh, they have announced that they're buying back of a disaster recovery company, Datto, for $6.2 billion. Now, the Datto uh, IPO happened back in October of 2020. And uh, back in March, we had a story about Datto possibly be going private because they said they were looking for either a private equity buyer or someone to just basically take over the company. And uh, now after all of these stock moves, it looks like it's going to be uh, their company's valued at about $5.7 billion. A note that the transaction for Kaseya is an all cash transaction based on a stock price. So Stephen, is this a good exit for Datto? Absolutely, it's a good exit for Datto. Um, I mean, it's not a, a huge uh, premium to their current market cap. 
but it is not a chump change. This is some serious money. Uh, it represents a good return. Uh, the IPO represented a good return on uh, Datto's uh, initial investment, and this represents a good return on that. So frankly, um, I don't see a lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of concern about this acquisition. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the folks from Datto have really been uh, working hard to try to build a uh, compelling product. And this acquisition effectively uh, is the next step in that. So yeah, um, I like the acquisition. I like this a lot better than the uh, uh, private equity investment that we speculated about uh, back in March. And I suspect that uh, Datto has a long and prosperous future. Next up on the IPO trail, uh, we've got Perforce, which is owned by Clear Lake Capital. They've announced that they're purchasing automation platform Puppet, which is familiar to the cloud and networking field day community. Terms were not announced, uh, but Perforce has said that they're going to integrate this tool suite into their DevOps-focused solutions. So Perforce, when they were asked to comment on this, they said, you know, we've done really good at, at the developer side of the house, the, the left side of the equation. We really needed to focus on the right side of the equation, the deployment and the administration, which kind of makes sense when you think about the fact that Puppet is very much focused on that, that idea of deploying um, technology, you know, getting devices stood up and, and being kind of templates. Uh, although I, I thought it was very funny that uh, the day that this was announced shortly before the actual announcement came out, Nick Weaver, who's a, a friend of the community, said that if you'd have told me eight years ago that HashiCorp would be a billion dollar company and Puppet would be the one getting acquired, I would have laughed at you. And I think a lot of people kind of thought that Puppet was this entity that maybe could stand up and kind of do their thing and, and exist as what they did. But I think that this just goes to show that the market for companies that are trying to build this all-in-one uh, single shop kind of offering for DevOps is there's enough money there that they can go after these companies and kind of bring them into the fold. Uh, I'm kind of see, curious to see, does Puppet exist as its own brand going forward? Is it something that is going to be like offered in a freemium model or something like that? Or is it going to be rolled into a bigger platform, which honestly could spell doom and disaster for the company because they've always been kind of a darling of some of the, you know, the, the open source slash free type products, you know, time will tell. Here's hoping that Perforce does a good, good job of it. Um, Steven, NetApp announced that they're going to be buying InstaCluster. It's a platform for managing data and workflow applications as a service. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does NetApp need with that? Well, the industry insiders are saying that the reason why this is happening is because NetApp is probably going to start offering a database as a service for a wild, wide variety of cloud-based database services, such as Kafka, Cassandra, or Elasticsearch. Now, the terms of the deal were not announced, but Stephen, you know, you have a lot to say about some of the moves that NetApp is making. What do you think about this one? Well, I think this is another great move for NetApp, uh, for Anthony Lai's little uh, cloud startup within NetApp. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good uh, product from by all accounts, and it fits nicely into the growing NetApp spot uh, offerings. So again, this follows uh, similar acquisitions uh, of spot, for example, but also cloud checker, uh, data mechanics, filament, uh, NetApp is basically buying uh, talent as much as they are buying a product, and they're buying uh, mindshare and, uh, and customer footprint. And frankly, for a company like NetApp that is often maligned as being some sort of 
weird old storage dinosaur, uh, this is an exciting development because frankly, they have this whole new product line. It appeals to the DevOps crowd natively. Uh, they don't really care much about NetApp's old school storage business. And uh, what NetApp is doing here is spending probably fairly small amounts of money to give itself a shot at being a relevant and um, driving force in the future of enterprise cloud. So uh, essentially what they've bought here with InstaCluster is a uh, data, a scalable data platform for up and coming DevOpsy workloads that are using Apache, Cassandra, Kafka, Spark, Redis, Elasticsearch, that sort of thing. And it goes really nicely with the Spot Instance Broker and some of these other challenge or acquisitions that they've made. It also is just fundamentally different from anything else NetApp is selling. And there, as I said, this is all going to be uh, bringing new customers, new uh, product areas, new revenue to NetApp's bottom line. It's just a great move overall. So um, I'm just going to give this acquisition uh, two thumbs up, assuming that it wasn't that expensive, which we kind of don't know because I don't see the terms of the deal. Next up, Tom, uh, investment firm KKR announced just yesterday that they're buying high-profile security vendor Barracuda Networks from Tom Abravo. Uh, terms were not announced, uh, but the reported value of Barracuda is almost $4 billion. Barracuda has over 200,000 worldwide customers. Uh, there's no breakdown on how many of those came from the 200,000 airport advertisements they also have. Do you have any insight into this, Tom? I don't have any insight into the announcement, but I honestly think that this is actually not a good thing. And I'll tell you why. One, you know, when you look at the earlier story about uh, Tom Bravo picking up SailPoint, um, I think they're doing a little bit of shuffling of some deck chairs. Uh, they needed to get rid of one of the security companies that had a big valuation so that they could afford to buy the other one. Not a big deal when you're talking about a security company. But look what they do. So SailPoint is an IAM vendor. They are focused on identity management. That's a growing market. Barracuda is focused on web and email security. And you're thinking, oh, those things need to be protected. You're right, they do. But why do you need a separate box to do that? And that's the real question here. So when you talk to a lot of companies that are doing um, things like SASE, so that's um, Secure Access Service Edge, they'll tell you that having these functions and features built into the platform is absolutely critical. Things like Cloud Access Security Broker, the ability to do traffic analysis and all that other stuff. But that doesn't work on an enterprise site. The idea of an email gateway or a web security gateway is going away. It's becoming a cloud software platform. And I think that that's kind of what Tama Bravo, if you wanted to read the tea leaves, noticed, is that this line of business is going to go away. So by offloading it to KKR, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see that some of those pieces are going to get split off and sold up to maybe be their own company that will offer like email protections in, you know, maybe like a cloud environment or something like that. Because I think that the wheels are going to come off that wagon sooner or later and people are going to realize that, you know, Barracuda has great technology from the early 2000s or maybe even the 2010s but they don't have the kind of technology that's going to keep up with this cloud focus that we have now. And with the advent of things like SD-WAN and SASE, it's actually going to make it a lot more difficult for them to continue to acquire customers. And I think that ultimately, you know, buying spots on sports radio and selling to airport, you know, executives is not the way to go when a lot of your 
mm, let's say more technical staff, your, your more uh, operations focused folks are kind of putting things in the, uh, you know, in the operations team that are like, well, I know this works and I don't have to buy a new box for it. So, you know, time will tell, obviously we'll see, uh, how this works out, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that, that KKR is spinning off a lot of the assets of Barracuda over the next 18 to 24 months. All right, Stephen, um, it's, uh, tech is starting to heat up again. We've got a lot of events that are coming up. So we wanted to take a look at the weeks ahead so that we could kind of give everyone an idea of what's going on. I, I'm going to start because, you know, my next big event is going to be Networking Field Day. It's going to be taking place May 4th through the 6th in Silicon Valley. We have an amazing lineup of presenters that you're going to want to go check out at the website, techfieldday.com. Also, that same week is Dell Technologies World in uh, Las Vegas. Well, presumably, because frankly, I haven't heard much about it, Dell. Hello, my phone works. Um, you can find out more there at uh, events.delltechnologies.com. Then uh, May 18th through 20th is AI Field Day 3. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm leading that one. And you can find out more about that at techfieldday.com. And lastly, the big networking event that we've all been waiting the last couple of years for is absolutely going to be happening in Vegas, June 12th through the 16th. And that would be Cisco Live US. You know, it's been a couple of years since we've been able to have it in person. We've done a great job. You know, Cisco's had some great virtual presentations, but there's nothing like being back in person. And so uh, we, Tech Field Day will be there. We've got some cool things that are in uh, going to be coming your way soon. So make sure you head over to the website and stay tuned because you'll definitely want to see what we've got in store for you. Speaking of which, in store for you every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time is an episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown where we uh, talk about the news that's been coming up, uh, you know, stories that, you know, we definitely think that you on the IT space, especially in the enterprise space, should be interested in and know a little bit more about. But that's not all that we do here at Gestalt IT. Stephen, what's one thing that you're working on that people should definitely be checking out? Well, the big news for us is that we just wrapped a Tech Field Day last week, and all of the videos are now online. So just head over to our YouTube channel, YouTube slash Tech Field Day, and you'll see the videos of the presentations from Tech Field Day, including some of the ones that made the news this week. Yes, and uh, I've been working on some uh, other content. In fact, we just published a story uh, about some of the cool things that Micron is doing in the mobile space uh, around memory and storage. So if you head over to gestaltit.com and just look for me, uh, you'll see that article and, and maybe learn a little bit more about uh, some of the things that they're working on. I'll give you a hint. Um, it turns out that making hardware for mobile phones is actually kind of fascinating, and you'll learn quite a bit when it's laid out for you. It's not just, you know, tap the glass and the app comes up to tell me what's going on. Meanwhile, if you have anything that you think we should definitely be covering here, make sure you tweet at Gestalt IT and use the hashtag rundown. And, uh, you know, we'll check out the story and add it to our list and, you know, even give you an on, on air credit for bringing it to our attention. Because, you know, you as part of the community are just as important a part of what we do here as anything else. We'll be back next Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time with another episode of the rundown. Until then, Make sure that you are following us on Twitter. We're at Gestalt IT, that you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video. And if you prefer to get this in a podcast format, use your favorite podcast application and make sure that you leave us a rating and a review because people do read those to check out it, what the kind of content is that they're hearing and whether or not they want to uh, tune in. But for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett and our wonderful community, thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you next week. So have a good one.